Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Well, welcome back to the campfire. We've got Vince Scully, regular s'mores enthusiast. S'mores. And Nothing to beat a nice marshmallow on a warm summer's evening. And we're, we're campfiring. We've got Vince from Life Sherpa. Thanks for coming back, Vince. G'day, Glenn. And Gemma from Nab Trade, host of the Your Wealth podcast. Thank mm-hmm. you for coming back to My Millennial Money in a different setting. We've got the fire happening and we're just chatting. <laughs> well, it is warm enough, right? It's definitely <laughs> warm enough to feel like a campfire at the moment. Absolutely. Now, date stamping, time stamping, we will be talking about markets. We're recording this, what is it, 2.15pm on Wednesday the 5th of December. And it's going live on Thursday the 7th. So you've just pretty much done a lap of the East Coast, Gemma, and doing all the things. Mm. There's a bit of a wrap-up of the year in terms of markets. Like, any, any things of note? I, do you know, it's been so interesting when you try to give a summary of this year's market. We came into it thinking it was going to be cataclysmically awful, right? Rates have gone from 0.1 of a percent. Our markets guys were predicting peak rates of 2%. We've ripped straight past that. We're at 4.35. Are we any higher? I don't know. The RBA is coming out any second now. Uh, yeah, we'll be able to give a live, yeah, we'll give a live, live update. pre-recorded update. I'll keep I, mean, I think 100% of economists are saying when, when, I, gonna... when I get my 26 emails within five minutes telling me that... <laughs> You'll get pinged and you can tell us. Uh, you know, and the RBA hopefully doesn't get everyone a nasty Christmas present. Mm. But... Uh, yeah, it was supposed to be this horrific market. They were not cataclysmic uh, predictions for the ASX, but for property markets, so absolutely, it's all going to go to pieces. Everything's going to be terrible. We're going to see these massive drawdowns and equities. We should have assumed the same thing if we consider that all asset classes are priced off your risk-free rate, and that's now 435 basis points or higher, depending on where you are. Let's not use US Treasuries because, frankly, no one uses them anyway, not in real life. Uh, but, you know, term deposit, that's your personal risk-free mm. rate. You know, everything should look pretty rubbish compared to that at the moment. The market's dead flat for the year and yields are incredibly strong. ASX dividend yield for the year apparently is 5.95%. Which is pretty amazing for the ASX 200 given a lot of it is iron ore. Banks, yeah, sure, yeah. I get. But five is probably a historic average. Five, fair enough, but you go 5.95 plus franking. It blew my mind. I had to check the numbers multiple times thinking I got it wrong or, you know, my eyesight was going or something. But it doesn't take too much of a price correction to get you from 5 to (laughs) 5.95. But we haven't had the correction either. Like it's, yeah, it's flat. It's certainly behind after inflation, but, you know, it's not terrible. It's not what we were expecting in January. So any, I don't know if you kind of track at NAB trade, Mm -hmm. are there any outlier individual companies in the ASX that um, that had a good run. Oh, that's really interesting. Uh, our guys tend to prefer things that get beaten up. They love stuff that's just been absolutely hammered and they want to jump in. And they're mm. very much bargain hunters, being cautious about the sort of falling knife mm. anxiety. <laughs> and there's always a couple of those and we've had a few in the last little while. There's 
there's not the same level of excitement that there was a few years ago when we had Afterpay going from $8 to 160 and then back again. And there's none of that sort of sexy stuff that was happening. There was lithium for a bit there and everyone was all over that and loving it. Now they're a bit, bit over it. So it's been a really... If I look at what our investors have been doing, it's really concentrated now. It's really shrunk from sort of, you know, there'd be 50 stocks in the most traded very frequently. Now you're down to 10. Mm. It's quite boring. People are trimming at the margin or they're picking things up on a little bit of weakness. There's just not that same appetite. But the VIX is under 10 at the moment. Like it's so low. It's a really, really boring market. Boring is harsh. But, you know, it's a really Mm. stable market. Let's call it that. And how mad would you be? Because it was, was it Block that bought Afterpay? Yes, it was. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> was it Square at the time and now it's Block? block. Was it Block and now it's uh, Square? Anyway. Yes, I think Square became Block. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> and I mean, imagine, well, they pay like 100 130 billion? bucks. 130 uh, bucks was the original sort of get in price. Yeah. And the bit that I love, and I feel, and I hope many of you are these people, almost all of our holders sold it. They didn't really? wait for the transaction to complete. They sold it out between $120 and $130. They were, and it stabilised at that mm. point for a couple of months. Like you had plenty of time to make that call. Isn't that rule number one of trading? By, by the rumour, sell the fact. <laughs> well, no, this, this was, you know, it was on the table. Mm. You know, so there, was, there wasn't even a rumour. It was great. This is going to happen. And yeah, well, lots of those deals don't close. I mean, oh, we've got a great one in the last week with oh, um, Origin. I mean, that's an interesting story. Just that, bring me up to speed because I've been busy packing my house. Um, the the end over. result yeah. is that the scheme of arrangement, which was put to the shareholders yesterday, um, was defeated by... By, I think it got to 70% approval and it needed 75. Um, if they'd done it as a regular takeover, they might have made it. it well, scheme has got, what, 17, 18%? 17. That's yeah. a big hole in it. a big chunk. So a scheme of arrangement. Yeah. So a scheme of arrangement was always going to be hard to get up at 75%. Mm. But a straight takeover could have worked. Yeah. It's, so, it's been really interesting and we were sort of in conversations over time and just watching that. But talk about rumour, like it was in the paper yeah. every day. It was unbelievable. I mean, I could not... St- like the AFR notifications. <laughs> I reckon all yesterday it was just origin, origin. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm busy and yeah. Mm. Come a long way since it was Boral Energy. Mm. So you touched on lithium, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was Alan Kohler the other night saying, you know, because lithium was this next thing and you've got to get onto it. But now every bastard's just opening a lithium mine. So the <laughs> supply and demand curves, like it's. I'm it's telling almost... you, they're opening a lithium. <laughs> A lot of announcements. Yeah. A lot of announcements happening. Uh, yeah, it's a really interesting one. I, I like it because it gave people something to do. Mm. You know, everyone's got a bit of trading fun money. You see it all the time. There's a bit that people are really happy to be active with. And there were the sort of big, strong players. And you could see Gina kind of throwing a bit of money at stuff. Mm. So Pilbara Minerals and Liontown are both in our top 20 stocks, which I find fascinating, right, for really? relatively small companies. For your customers. For our customer base. By trading volume. By value. By value. Yeah, just holdings. Okay. Just the value of holdings. And... That's kind of amazing, right? Because mm. you've got banks in there, Macquarie and CSL and, you know, you know, all your top 20 real names. And then you've got these two companies. Pilbara Minerals, fine. That's reasonably large. Liontown is teeny tiny. And then you look at the average holding size. It's not 10 people. It's several thousand people. But they bought that thing super cheap because the average holding is enormous. It's infinitely higher than the average holding for any of the banks, for example. So they have just let it run and done mm. super well out of it. So yeah. it's been fun. Isn't that just a function of retail investors that the average trading punter goes with the, 
the feds? Do you know, I actually have completely the opposite view and I used to work in advice. So I came to this with a view of what people do when left to their own devices. And the one thing I've learned from watching what people do, and this is hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. So there will always be people at the margin, right? It's a bell curve. (laughs) You've got everyone in the middle. You've got super active traders at one end and you've got people who've got a BHP holding from 1972 <laughs> that have just been sitting there forever and, you know, and everything in between. But, you know, it is a bell curve. There's a big chunk of people in the middle who tend to behave the same way and that is people who conscientiously choose to invest their own money under their own research, whatever that research may happen to be, pretty carefully. And I think the one thing I've learned is people are not stupid and they don't like losing their own money. Hmm. They are not going to throw it at stupid stuff. And so we... I do. I'm not in that part of the world. <laughs> um, we, you know, we got the question, particularly during COVID, um, the regulator was coming to us going, you know, we've heard about Davy Day Trader and the wild stuff in the US. How bad is it? Like how bad? Show us what you've got. And we were going through going, oh, um, people are buying the ASEC 200 ETF. They're buying the big four banks. There was an 80-20 buy-sell split during COVID. People threw money at the market. They were so excited to buy it at a massive discount, but they just bought stuff their mum would have told them to buy. (laughs) buy. It was really conservative. I was blown away. And 90% of them and young people more than older people buy and hold. They were not trading at all. So there was a little people, group of people at the margin who were trading their lives away. But the vast majority of people, buy and hold, really conservative. ETFs have gone from 4% of our book pre-COVID to more than 10 now. Mm-hmm. Like, it, I don't know, people are pretty sensible. Do you, does NAB, and excuse my ignorance, does NAB trade allow international? We do. So what's your insight on one US market last 12 months mm. and any... You know, I guess NVIDIA is probably one of them, but mm-hmm. <laughs> any other fun things that you've seen? So um, via the platform, you can buy US, UK, Germany, Hong Kong, uh, and 90 plus percent of that is US. Like, mm. let's not pretend. Yeah. It's pretty much all US. There's a little bit of, you know, there's a bit of Hong Kong. Mm. People are interested in getting into your barbers and your 10 cents and whatever, but you can buy them in the US also. And so we, I w- wouldn't be able to tell you that there's a larger holding in Hong Kong directly mm. than in the US, to be honest. Uh Probably my favourite random data point is that Tesla at one point was our 11th largest holding across all assets. Okay, that's fascinating. Mm. Get this. They reckon if Tesla carved out their supercharging network as a business, it would be a Fortune 500 company in its own right. Yeah, wow. And it's because – and then secondary to that, I think – it was just this week, actually, a couple of days ago, I was listening to a um, a political podcast in the States and they were saying just this year, Tesla Model Y, they produced 300,000 units mm-hmm. of Tesla Model Ys. Where like GM, the next biggest one, it was like 3,000. <laughs> Apparently it's, there are, this is my random data fact mm, from Twitter, so I have not validated this. Must be this. true then. Must be true. There's a guy who runs uh, like car dealer guy. Anyways, that's his, yeah. his handle. Um, and just ex- sort of extraordinary facts about the US car market. It is quite interesting and particularly 
uh, as an indication of the health of the US economy, uh, the amount of – you're looking it up now. That's so funny. Well, I'm just I'm <laughs> fact-checking my own 300,000 because it does sound a lot. But. It does. So his, his data point was there are more Fiat dealerships in the US than Fiat sold in the last 12 months. Oh. <laughs> That's harsh. It's, um, that was pretty crazy. I think but, I might have got to that point in Australia too. Yeah, they're not. Um, but, I mean, the interesting thing about the US this year, you know, the, the story that gets the big story is the big seven, you know, mm. the, the seven companies. Seven. The Magnificent Seven. Mm. Um, but, you know, most people have forgotten that in the last 12 months, three large banks failed in the US. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. hundreds of banks fail o- over the period in the US, but mm. three in a clump. Mm-hmm. And nobody remembers it nine months later. Yeah. It's, or six months later. Like, I, it's not that long ago. I was talking to a bond guy this morning and I That must have been riveting. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, part of the reason I was doing it was because I was, we're getting more and more questions from people going, I'm super keen to get a defensive fixed income allocation to our portfolio, can talk about it. And then they look at the performance of bonds and go, well, that doesn't look very defensive. It was off 10% last year. Like that's, Mm. how does that happen? And I'm like, for the vast majority of people who would never dream of putting money in bonds in the last 15 years because returns were so dreadful, you know, yields were so low, why would you bother? The idea that they could be so volatile is really confusing. So we were just doing that mm-hmm. conversation. Okay. Well, you know how you t- find the, the bond trader at a party? How? Don't worry, they'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I, so I was going the other way, which is um, Michael Lewis wrote Liar's Poker. Yep. It was his mm-hmm. first book. And the worst thing, because and being a bond trader was the super cool thing in the 80s when he was there, and the worst thing that could happen to you was you got put on the equities desk. Oh. And I love that. It makes me laugh. So it was always like, and there would be two things that would happen to you if you were really failing as a trader. You would get moved to somewhere rubbish and you would get put on equities. So it was like when everyone, someone was doing badly, they'd yell at them, equities in Dallas. Oh, so, I was going <laughs> to say, the Frankfurt equities desk must be the <laughs> Equities in Dallas. It was the worst thing that could happen to you. Okay, get this. This is so flippin' wild. Uh, October 2nd, 2023, in the third quarter, this is all cast from the Tesla website, Investor Relations, we produced over 430,000 vehicles and we delivered over 435,000 vehicles. Um, Model 3 slash Y, they delivered 420,000 like, That's extraordinary. I'm not a car person, so no, I'm a bit like but, I mean, but you remember. can't you can't walk around California without getting hit by Tesla. No. Can't walk around where I live either. Yeah. Uh, well, put that in perspective. We sell a million new cars in Australia, right? But I think the 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 whole thing was compared to the incumbents mm. in America, UGMs yes. and Fords. Absolutely, they're doing nothing mm. and far out. And I mean, I I'm like, what's your take on electric? Because I've got a view and I'll just... Yeah, I, I don't think the tech's ready yet. Um, and they've got to stop putting those stupid big screens on the dashboard. Like, <laughs> give give me a proper temperature knob. Don't make me page through 10 pages of menu to turn the temperature down in the air con. Yeah, I don't know. Is that because we're old though and we grew up with knobs and dials and kids who've grown up with phones where everything is touchscreen, they'll no, be cool you, with it? But think about it. If you're driving... You can reach down and go, yeah, that's the knob mm. without looking. Oh, well, that's how I feel. How but I'm just page, wondering if we're old and that's three the problem. Screens. Well, I, I don't know. I just put my like my car's just set on like 22, 23 climate control. I don't ever touch anything. It's all automatic. Why are you touching knobs, Vince? <laughs> <laughs> don't answer that. 
Well, actually, most of the problem is keeping Kate away from the channel switch on there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> skipping, skipping. But yeah, through all the... that to say, um, that's crazy. It is crazy. Um, mm. But interesting, the time in dealers for electric cars has blown out massively in the mm. US. So the time from the time in inventory on the showroom floor has blown out massively in the last three months. Do we know if that's for all cars or just electric vehicles? Uh, I think it's predominantly electric cars. Interesting, because I think this this car dealer guy, and I, I'm using him as the only data point I have on, you, on vehicles in the US, but was pointing out it's much more difficult to get finance now. There's a lot of sort of economic factors more broadly that are playing into this interesting downturn, because in the US it seems that... Like buying cars, like buying a house, right? I just like got a a borrow and it's a big thing. <gasps> What's it say? RBA Holds. raises cash rate by 2%. Nah, joking. <laughs> <laughs> it, they've, they've held yeah. 4.35. Oh, okay. so All right. There Good. you go, everyone. You heard it here second. <laughs> it's two days old, this episode now. So, I mean, we're sort of drifting away from cars a bit, but sticking on the interest rate note, mm. I mean, our interest rates are below the US by as much as they are normally above them. Mm. So, Australian interest rates are. A percent below the US at the moment, I think. A little bit less, but yeah. Um, where typically there would be yeah. that amount above US rates, which partly explains the 65 cent yeah, yeah. dollar. Rubbish, rubbish Australian dollar. So back to the US for a mm. moment. NVIDIA, I was just going to look <laughs> at. So there is obviously still a huge microchip shortage. Mm. Some VW models, new ones, they're not putting blind spot sensors in because of the shortage of chips. Interesting. How wild is that? It, uh, well, no, my car doesn't have a blind spot. Like, why <laughs> do you I are a blind spot, <laughs> mate? I, it, so NVIDIA is really interesting to me because it was one of the first international stocks that found its way into our portfolio, despite the fact I had no idea what it was or what it was doing. My husband... Uh, By uh, our, you mean the Dale Fortune. Yeah, indeed, um, which... Uh, uh, it's not <laughs> – I don't have my husband's surname, so even more confusing. Uh, but it hot tip from one of his fundy mates, let's put it that way, right? Passion project for both of them. This guy comes from tech background. He's like, you got to put in the portfolio. And he was always like, you got to look at our video. It's amazing. And some years later was like, oh, it was quite a good one actually. <laughs> I'm going to give you a bit of credit for that. It, um, so it's been there for a while. But it does feel like one that it took quite a long time for the rest of the retail base to come to. There were a lot of people who were super hot on the stock quite a while back and then it's become big news, sort of headline news, I guess, in the last well, couple of years. 12 months ago it was at 146 mm. Australian a share mm. and it's at four. 55. Mm. That's mm-hmm. savage. Yeah, no, it's been extraordinary. And But when you look at the growth... 2020, it was 85. <laughs> yeah, we went into our portfolio at 60, I believe. Mm. Um, but I had nothing to do with that and can take zero credit for it. Um, but that must have been a while back. Uh, but what's most fascinating about it, um, and because I was doing a market update literally minutes after it came out, but, you know, they did their third quarter or whatever it was and beat... Beat expectations, and expectations are insane for this company at the moment by 10, 15%. Like just smashed expectations, and yet the market didn't move much. Like the price didn't move. You're like, oh, so they weren't really your expectations. <laughs> like yeah. it, was, it was clearly much higher than that, right? If the price doesn't move, it was already factored in. Wow. Yeah, I just – and this is the whole thing with investing. 
human nature, like I want to open up my thing now and buy it. <laughs> <laughs> but no. Don't. You idiot. Mm. Just pump your IVV because I've got a fair bit of exposure there anyway. Oh, I don't know what percentage of IVV it is, but it's probably quite a chunk. Oh, it's five or six, wouldn't it? <laughs> so my husband works in the industry and quite often I overhear his presentations and he overhears mine and it's quite helpful. You get sort of a different data set. Uh, you don't have a Chinese wall in your dining room? Neither of us is doing <laughs> anything that requires a Chinese wall. It's a bit, nothing, nothing secret going on. It's all public information. But he was saying that the Magnificent 7 are 27% of the S&P 500 now, Gosh. which is crazy because when I was talking about it, yeah, a couple of months ago, it was 24%, 27 even And people get concerned about finances being 27% of ours. Yeah, no, we're pretty cash compared to the US. <laughs> I'm really taking it easy. When you've got 500 stocks in your biggest market to choose from, well, I mean, obviously infinitely more than that, but in your biggest index to choose from, and uh, we're just going to give nearly a third of it just a seven. They're the only Holdings, good ones. here we go. But remember, that's 27% of 60% of the world. I, I could be wrong. I think it's closer to 70 Last time I looked at Misky World, it was 70% US. I nearly died. And I do wonder how many people go and buy Misky World thinking they're getting a diversified portfolio and then they're like, oh, I've just got a ton of NVIDIA and a bit of Microsoft. Um, okay. It is 2.99 NVIDIA of the S&P 500. That's 3%. Yeah. yeah, a little bit less than what I thought. Apple is at 7.2. Oh. Microsoft, 7.2. Amazon, 3.4. So, okay, here's a question. Hypothetically, if you could only buy Amazon or Microsoft and hold it for the rest of your life, which one would you be choosing and why? I would go Microsoft. I don't like Amazon. Although, no, sorry. Uh, Apple, sorry. Oh, an Apple. Sorry, Microsoft or Apple. Oh, Who I would are you go. holding? Yeah, that's And why? <laughs> I use Apple all the time, but mm. I would prefer Microsoft. Uh in complete random data point, again, there is a very, very major fund manager in Australia who came on a webinar on our platform pre-COVID, so four years ago, and one of their slides was that Apple will cease to exist within 10 years. What? It may have been within five years. It's incredible. True story. I'll go and find it for you. Please. Yeah, I mean, they do seem to I'm have, not saying I agree with that, but that's what they They say. do seem to have fallen into a bit of a innovation slump. Mm. compared to what you would have picked Apple as 10 years ago. Mm. I and Microsoft seemed to have hit a bit of a sweet spot, mm. you know, with the whole AI and Azure and the whole cloud mm. thing. I mean, that's like I'm choosing Microsoft yeah, I think only I because it. of the enterprise Azure. Mm. Like. I, I have seen commentary that Microsoft missed the whole smartphone revolution. Like they completely missed that and they are 100% determined not to make the same mistake with AI that that is... Don't you remember the old Microsoft phone? <laughs> I, <laughs> um, do I? Never bought I one. Let me no. put it that No, way. I never bought one but there was one. It was a Motorola, Motorola, uh, not a Motorola, um, Nokia phone I think. Right. Yes. Didn't they buy Nokia? Mm, not sure. But the whole thing with Apple, right, I reckon they're only... Um, play is to get iPhones into other markets. 
Yeah. How many more other markets well, are there? Well, India. China and India. Mm. China, they put a massive limit on it and they so that when the share price fell recently, it was because they said that they cannot be owned by government officials in China, which doesn't sound like that big a deal, but mm. 60 million people can't own one in the U- in China. Is there 60 million 60 government? 60 million government. Yeah, that was the most fascinating <laughs> yeah, part of that. Right. Yeah. It's wow. just unbelievable. So that was if you see a little And is that because thing. the um, Chinese Communist Party's tin hat back to America? Vibe? I, yeah, I think it's a yeah. bit of a It's probably just payback vibe. for yeah, 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 payback for Huawei. Huawei. Yeah, yeah. Um, because the, the, the Indian like, market's an interesting one. That um, the reason iPhones struggled in India was they didn't have dual SIMs for a long time, uh-huh. and so that they find there was some reason I don't quite know what, but Apple refused to do the dual SIM thing, yeah. or couldn't do it, or it didn't fit or something, and so that's why they didn't make it in India. But now they do. With these e-SIMs. Well, I've got an e-SIM. I don't yes, use a from, normal one. From at least the iPhone 11 because that's the one I have. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. got a dual SIM with the e-SIM. It, I wonder, was it that they needed to have two physical SIMs? Well, that, before that e-SIMs came, there was yeah, physical right. SIMs. Yeah. And of course, yeah. most Indians, for some reason, have multiple SIMs. I don't quite know why. There's some cultural thing. You need one for your side piece. <laughs> Is that the thing? Maybe. Or your job. <laughs> or, the, call, or your work. That's a good one. Um, to call the Tiffin Waller. <laughs> so, but this is the whole thing with iPhone, right? Since they got their knuckles wrapped for, remember they had that thing where 10 years ago they were slowing them down after a couple oh, yeah. of years? Battery. With the life battery and, and all, all that stuff. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like either it was a actually true thing and it was a software thing mm. or the battery tech is better. Like that, as well as. Every year when a new model comes out, no one notices or cares mm. because it's... Pricing's extraordinary now. Oh, you know, back when you could buy so one expensive. for $600 or $800, you'd be like, I mm. would upgrade. No, you look at this, like $1,800. Yeah. yeah, to upgrade a phone. I'm like, I don't need whatever that yeah. is. But the one that you got three years ago is still fine. Yeah, yeah, it's still really good. I, I do know, um, again, back to the tech fundy, um, who some years ago was talking about the the reduced turnover rate of iPhones. Mm. You know, several years ago it went from 18 months to two years and then it increased from there. They made them too good. The planned obsolescence isn't working. So what did the S&P do the last 12 months price-wise? Oh, God, I presented on this this morning and it just escaped my memory. Uh, I know that if you uh, strip out the Magnificent, Magnificent 7, it's roughly flat. Yeah. It's up like 3%, but I can't remember what it is with the 7. Well, it would be 20, to, wouldn't it? Well, to September 30, yeah. it's up 20.8 or something. And you were saying that was year on year? Yes, yeah, so 12 months to mm. September 30. I suspect it would be... Less than that now. I get my phone yeah, and I'll have a look at my phone. presentation from yesterday. That's so bad. Let me see. Um, Which goes to your point about, you know, pick a date. You yeah, can, yeah. You can sort of prove most things by picking your time frame. Which is why we say the past performance is no guarantee of future performance. Oh, yeah. And no, also, but it's, a, it's a good guide. Forecasts, <laughs> forecasts also aren't going to help you much, I have to say. Um, the, having been looking at forecasts I, and then just seeing how incredibly inad- inadequate I haven't said this for a while on the podcast, but you know this whole past performance isn't an accurate indicator of future performance. There's one asset class where it kind of is. Ooh. What's that? Do you know, Vincent? Cash? No. Um, VC stuff. VC stuff. You mean and private equity funds. You mean... Do you mean the fund is more likely to perform or do you mean the, you know, so you 
Okay. Go, so- I've got $1,000 and I've got a 1,000 different investments of them. One of them is going to be really good. No, the f- funds. The fund more broadly. Interesting. Yeah, because effectively, say, in Silicon Valley or whatnot, <laughs> the big funds and the, the VC funds that have been around for the longest, they get first bite mm. of a heap of the cherries. So usually there's a higher chance of them picking a winner than someone pitching to one of the big guys not getting that funding. I So I had a really interesting conversation again with a fund manager uh, where I'm not <laughs> To be very careful about who I say this is because it was it was such a telling comment, and it was during COVID when all of the big companies in the country were doing massive capital raisings under duress, under the impression that things were going to go pear shaped and much worse than they already were. And I think JobKeeper and a lot of the stimulus had not been announced at that point, so it was it was pretty dire times with the anticipation of things getting much worse. And this person was like, "I need to go. We've just got another. Yeah, we've got." 12 raisings coming at us and they were like, you need to understand this is when we make our money. Hmm. And I'm like, well, what about the rest of us? As retail investors, we don't get those bites of the cherry, right? You guys are getting all of the early run at this. They were hugely discounted offerings. And, you know, the banks were doing these, you know, raisings at $13 and $14 Hmm. with the exception of CBA, obviously, but just huge raisings just so far below the closing price from just a couple of months ago that retail investors, you know, they might have had a tiny opportunity to participate, but it was a real eye-opener to how uh, uneven the playing field can be sometimes. those gains aren't counted in the index either. No. So it's sort of a free kick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They go, and she, this person was openly saying, this is a massive free kick for us. By the way, I have to go now. <laughs> I have no time for you. I'm very busy getting my free kick. And I was like, this is, it, you know it intuitively, but when you see it in real time, you think, you know, also all of you guys should be outperforming the index way more than you are when you get these free kicks. They don't come around every year. Obviously that one was unusual, but um, it's incredible. Um, it looks like market was up about 20%. Yeah. <laughs> and That's... the reason I can't remember it is because I didn't put a number on my chart. I just showed a chart. Ah. <laughs> Self-inflicted, sorry. Yeah. But it is quite interesting that, you know, it feels like it was a really choppy year looking back. Mm. But that's not what the ending numbers say, <gasps> that everything was up on the year. Even bonds. So I I forgot to read the show partner ad at the start when I press record, so I'll just read it now. <laughs> and we can shuffle it in post. I will just leave it here. It's it's a more it's a more um, advertising rich environment midway through. Native, I think. Is the yeah, term. because we've oh. got we've got engaged listeners. Mm-hmm. So this shout out is <laughs> this shout out is worth more because if you're still listening, you're so engaged. Mm. We can't do this. <laughs> we can't do this episode without Global X. Global X is bringing the world of innovation to Australian investors with beyond ordinary tech ETFs. From AI and robotics to the big brands you know and love, explore the possibilities at globalxetfs.com.au. AFSL four six six seven seven eight. Investing involves risks and returns are not guaranteed. Return to the relevant PDS and TMD. And I will also say thanks so much, Global X. We've really appreciated you supporting uh, the podcast. Everyone just, this is not part of their ad. Vince, is it what I'm about to say? No, I can't see it anyway. <laughs> yeah, he hasn't got his glasses on. <laughs> their, their ETF landscape report is really good. So just Google Global X ETF landscape report. Details every domiciled ETF in Australia and you can download it. And it's just a handy reference point. Mm. Uh, and then another thing I forgot to say, uh, NAB Trade, 
have not paid to have <laughs> Gemma here. I mean, no, the much they've probably paid, they've Sorry. probably paid for an Uber or a cab to get to the studio. Yeah, I got a lift. Yeah. So, <laughs> not even that. Not even that. So I just wanted to flag that. You caught the bus. I will catch a bus home. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what about we chew some fat over some listener questions? Mm. It's quarter to three. Um, have you got half hour? Mm, all good. Have you got half yeah, hour? I've got a four o'clock hard stop. All right. Well, yeah, we'll be done within 45 minutes. Actually, I will actually um, double up and pay the bills with some dynamic ads right now. So we'll be back right after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Gillian said... I love listening to Gemma Dale. That's very kind. Thank you, Gillian. Gillian Stewart. It's very kind. Um, hashtag not sponsored. Hashtag not sponsored. <laughs> not one of my friends to the best let's, of my knowledge. Let's change tack, as the sailors would say. I'm just having, a, I'm just having a, a look at some of these questions from the Facebook group. Do you think I should put my glasses on and read them? Maybe. It's okay. Quite, quite hard to put your glasses let's, on when let's you've got the get, headphones on. Let's get savage. <laughs> Listy. The benefits in, of investing in managed accounts. I don't understand why MAs are popular. With regular rebalances, which can be often as daily or weekly, surely the tax consequences and transaction costs would lower the overall, overall returns. So, Vince, can you maybe just explain managed accounts for those playing at home? Cool. Um, the main distinction between a managed account, and they go by a number of names, whether they're managed discretionary accounts, separately managed accounts. SMA? SMA, individually managed IMA, accounts. Yeah. IMA, <laughs> MDA? MDA, managed discretionary account. The distinction there is that these are, so the distinction between those and a pooled or collective vehicle like an... That's what I was thinking, MDMA. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the martial arts thing? No, that's MMA. That's MMA. MMA. <laughs> um, MDMA is what's going to... all the spheres M- MDMA today. is going to be what's happening tonight at the W in uh, Darling Harbour. No, it's not. <laughs> I don't do um, On a Tuesday. Hashtag not sponsored. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, where was I? I was going to this. So the distinction between a managed account and a collective vehicle like a managed fund or an LIC or a ETF is that the individual assets in a managed account are held for a specific investor. 
So your your performance is not affected by the behaviour of other investors in the vehicle. So if you're in a managed fund, for example, and there were well, there was if well, let's do it. The three of us were in a managed fund, yes. and we both had a hundred thousand dollars in yep. a managed fund. So if Glenn wants to buy his MDMA and needs um, some cash, and needs some <laughs> cash, and goes, I want to sell my units then the manager of that pooled assets has to sell the underlying assets to pay Glenn out and that could trigger capital gains tax. On On, Vince and Gemma. Well, Mm -hmm. in the pool of assets and by the time that capital gain gets distributed, Glenn's gone and lying on the floor of his bathroom at the W Hotel. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas um, that's slightly easier with an ETF but with a managed account... Glenn's behaviour has no impact on my tax or Gemma's tax. Um, gets a little bit more complex where you're holding ETFs or managed funds in a separately mm. managed account. But the point of a managed account is they're your assets and somebody else is managing the form and you are indifferent to other people's behaviour in relation to the assets, the membership of that account. Can um, I add something to that? Just because please, this, this this came as uh, new information to me and I should have known it but it, it was a big surprise that particularly if you have an advisor, if that advisor holds or doesn't hold, it's yours, right, but you have a series of managed funds, you've got a portfolio of managed funds or equities or whatever it might be, so you've got 20 different assets in it and they change their view on something and want to change your portfolio. They need to give you a proper statement of advice or recommendation, you know, a documented recommendation to change that if you hold all the assets directly. If it's an SMA or an IMA or an MDA or whatever we want to call it, they can just kind of send you an email going, we've changed the underlying assets of this portfolio, which doesn't sound like a big deal, but I am aware of scenarios where a business has changed their view and said, we want to go from unhedged to hedged. And we're going to change several thousand clients yep. and several hundred thousand portfolios and underlying assets. And we're going to have to document every single one of those and send all of those clients documentation, you know, reviewing their scenarios, explaining why we gave the advice, all these sorts of things for something that the client is probably totally cool with them doing in the first place. I trust you to manage yep. my portfolio and hedge or not hedge. I don't really care that much. And as a client, you are wearing the cost for all of that admin and you all are. of those things in the end. So that's that was one I didn't yeah. realise how significant it was. And the consequence of that is that somebody in those thousands will not return the paperwork <laughs> and they are yeah. now sitting hedged or unhedged in that case. Yeah. So they haven't got the benefit of the advice they're paying for yeah. because – they might have been on holidays, they might have been in prison, they might have been <laughs> it's on a cruise. <laughs> example you gave. Um, but yeah. It has happened. Wow. <laughs> um, oh, well, oh, well, remand oh. is probably better to swim. <laughs> but, um, but the point being that someone will not return the paperwork and mm. in a few thousand it's going to be tens, twenties. Because you effectively get a PDS for the portfolio, don't you? Like a document to say this is what could happen in the portfolio. Yes, so generally you're effectively entering into a mandate. Yes. Mm. If it's a um, – there's some subtle differences between an SMA. SMA and IMA sort of are similar and then MDAs are slightly different. Mm. But broadly you sign up to a investment mandate and the investment manager does that, which is sort of what you do when you buy an ETF. So if you mm. buy a 
Uh, or even ASX 200. You buy an ASX 200. What you're actually buying is whatever the ASX 200 is from time to time, and the manager deals with that as S&P change their mind. So, um, which they do every quarter. Mm-hmm. And um, We like to imply there's some science behind it. <laughs> like well, there, there is, but there's also a bit of judgment. Yeah, yeah. There's way, which obviously way, is way more you qualitative element than you'd imagine. You know, is anything yeah. truly passive mm. other than my apathy for life? <laughs> Cho- choice of an index is an active decision. Um, exactly. But so getting back to the... The point about that. The other big advantage of a managed account is that you're not buying into other people's capital gains. So when you mm. buy an ASX 200 ETF, and this is worse for ETFs than for managed funds because the holding period's longer. So if you buy STW, for example, which has been around for 20 years, like a long time. Yeah. Mm. So you've got to think their first parcel of BHP that they bought Mm. has got a very, very low cost base. Mm. So you're buying it at net tangible assets, which ignores embedded capital gains. So you're inheriting a potential future capital gain. And you don't do that in managed... So if you have a managed fund which holds BHP, sorry, a managed account that holds BHP, your BHP is bought the day you put the money Yeah, well, in. you're buying a portfolio model... Rather than yeah. correct, yeah. I mean, so you should assume with the ETF that they're not going to sell BHP on you wholesale, right? There's trimming at the market. Well, they could do when it, if it got taken over by yeah. a UK. Oh, I mean, what yeah. happened with Westfield? Yeah, you look at the year yeah, that yeah. Westfield left the index mm. when it was bought by who bought it? Uh, Unibail. Yeah. Yep. So Westfield was ten percent mm-hmm. or more of the, but the retail. They only bought the international part. Was that? Yeah, but it. It's so downweighted in the index yeah. that there's this massive exit. Yeah. Um, Afterpay would have had a similar impact when Afterpay yeah. was taken yeah. over and delisted, not on the S&P, two, S&P 200 anymore. Mm. So these big parcels can happen where you get a, a big An exit. Event. Yeah, a significant event, yeah. So, But, I mean, how pure do you want to get? Because you have the uh, professionals, quote-unquote, unquote-unquote, whatever, who – for their clients are like, we only do individual model portfolios, direct equities, we only do self-managed super. Mm. It's like, how pure do you want to get? Well, I think you want to be as pure as fits your purposes. Yeah. Because um, I like, and just touching on it, I was reading something the other day, the whole like, you've got to get a chess-sponsored broker. And oh, that's my, such a beat up. my whole thing is, and nab trades in the room, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, my whole thing is, if you've got your little investment portfolio of three or four thousand, five thousand dollars, and you're going with this broker because it's just chess sponsored, if you are so pure with that and you want to hang your hat on that, you better make sure your super is in a self managed super fund. So I've got to comment on this just because one of the guys in our business was uh, in a scenario where he had to wind up a non chess sponsored broker on behalf of clients and he said you have no idea what they were trying to do and how difficult it was and how badly the customers lost out. And I say that also because there's a number of brokers in Australia that became extremely popular over the last few years when broking went mental, right? Mm. Like everyone was buying shares directly, everyone opened an account for the first time, all these kinds of things. handful of them are obviously not chess sponsored it's all public knowledge. And a lot of them have very tenuous revenue models. They don't make a lot of money. 
a lot of them are losing a lot of money, and whether they will all be around. Will the trading spreads stop, the money stops? Um, There there are quite a few of them where I can tell you openly there's no way they're making money on brokerage, so they must be making money somewhere else uh, because if you're charging less than $10 a trade, you are losing money on Mm. every trade. And so then you go, okay, well, how else are you making money and all these sorts of things or have you because you're not trust-sponsored, found a way to outsource those costs to somebody else, those sorts of things. But I do look at that scenario and go, there will be brokerages that go under or get taken out by somebody else, and that's obviously the business model. If you get taken out, theoretically, that business that takes you out is sufficiently robust to be able to manage a transition so that nobody loses a ton of money and knows where their yeah, stuff is. I, I just think- but if it goes under, mm. you're in real trouble, right? So I – yeah, and. Uh, I know the $5,000 doesn't count for much, but when you're young and you only have $5,000, you don't want to lose sure. it. So I kind of... No, I, but a lot of people that might have this $5,000, right, and they'll hang their hat on, I only do chess mm. because it's so pure, mm. you've probably got 40 or 50 grand in your super fund. Yeah. If you're so pure in your life, mm. why is your super on custody? Yeah. And of course, if, you're, mm. if your hin-held asset is... A ETF. Well, someone's holding the underlying assets. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So There's a lot is, of other elements. So, there are, mm. but there are some. Yeah, the the big stories that people talk about. It'll be BBY is a mm-hmm. very recent, recent, recentish ish yes. example. Um, I've checked myself every time I say recent. Some <laughs> some recents are like <laughs> twenty Why? years ago. That was the Babcock. Uh, no. Burdette, Buckeridge, and Young. Right. It was, I was originally Babcock and Brown. Uh, Ken Roswell, the tennis guy, was the. Right. Um, Or his son. Was it him or his son? It was a Rosewall anyway. Um, But, you know, that wasn't just a brokerage Mm. business. And that's why people... And it was the the intermingling of prop trading and... Yeah, debt. Yeah. Um, We see a lot of these scenarios. Or what was the other... What was the the margin lender that wasn't a margin lender during the GFC? Um, Went spectacularly belly up. The deal was that you effectively... You paid for your leverage by lending your stock out. What was it called? Um, oh, I don't know that one. I don't know. Um, but it went spectacularly belly up in yeah. 2008. I don't so, think we were involved in that, which makes me feel very good. Uh, <laughs> so, like, for Didn't example, come across my desk. With advertisers, like Sharesy's app were a sponsor on the show and hopefully mm. I can do more with them in the uh, in the new year. I don't love new startup tech like me advertising them. Mm. Because there's just – and they've got six-year track record. They're huge in New Zealand. Aren't like, they the second biggest broker in New Zealand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's, so I don't think you'd qualify them as a startup. No, it? but they're Australian arms, two yeah. years old, but it's fine. I got an email just two days ago. Hi, Glenn, we're X, Y, Z, the latest and greatest and whatever in investment apps coming soon to a phone near you. We're looking to disrupt the world of investing and offer up an easy, intuitive, no-brainer way for Aussies to get more in their pockets – we know anyone can build wealth and it's not reserved for generational wealth, so blah, 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 blah. I would love to work with you to reach your community and help them grow more money. We're not launching till February, but would love to look at a long lead collaboration as well as some more targeting messaging as we launch. Can you please send through your rate card? Thanks so much, blah, blah, blah. This is what I wrote back. Thanks for email. Our advertising packages start at X. 15 grand, whatever, don't care. Um, I'm just saying. Um, I mean, whatever, I'm out of here making money. Um, but before... Our podcasts were free. Yeah, but before we get to that, this is what I said. We would need to know some more info on the startup. Who is behind it? Their track record, compliance framework, if there is any public info on funding and backing, etc. Mm. 
I mean, I probably won't take their money, even if they say Jesus has returned to run the company. You know what I mean? Like because it's business was great at business, Jesus. I'm not sure yeah. it was his thing. Kept giving stuff well, away. Well, maybe if I wanted to build my table, but um, water into wine, he could do that. Yeah, that'd be a good business. <laughs> so yeah, I'm just hyper vigilant mm. with the brands that we promote, and like me, I don't have any money on shares. It's all on custody mm. because in my life the lack of paperwork year on year and the consolidated tax reporting, hallelujah. Like I just don't care for it. And if you want to you want to be pure and have a stance about being pure, make sure that logic stands up in every area of your financial life. I would dare say if you want to be pure, we're not doing ETFs. We're doing direct shares. I dare say if we want to be pure, we're not buying international equities in America because mm. – that's not chess. It's on custody. I think Finland is the only other major market that operates a hin-like product. I we don't I don't have a lot of exposure to Finland. I was going to say I don't, I, I don't think a, I don't oh. think you'd call it a major market. Come on, finish your point. <laughs> um, <laughs> we we have a self-managed super fund, and I will say, I, I have my days where I'm like, God damn it, just the paperwork kills me. Uh, <laughs> Because my husband thought it was a great idea to put teeny tiny amounts of money, really immaterial in the scheme of things, into two startup businesses uh, that are unlisted and every year the administrators and the auditors come back to me and go, prove to me that you are, you know, it's not an in-house asset, that you're not related party of the company, all these things. It's very difficult to prove you're not. It's just, it drives me absolutely bonkers. So, uh I love having a self-managed super fund, but there are days when I'm like, man, I'd love yeah. to outsource this to somebody else. But, but you do make a really good point around this. Um, there's a lot of noise in the market about, yeah, which platform should I use? With due respect, Gemma, um, I'm a now broker customer. So, oh, well so, done. So. Thank oh, you. look out. <laughs> <laughs> um, mostly because I've been a now private banker for 20, oh, well 25 done. years. Oh, well um, done. And, but the point being this noise sort of gets in the way of what really matters. Mm-hmm. When you're starting out, or even when you're reasonably advanced, the thing that actually matters is the quality and consistency of your decisions and your behaviour. Whether you use broker A or broker B and it's $2 difference a trade, really, guys, um, let's focus on what actually matters. And um, getting that consistency of decision and behaviour is where an advisor helps. Mm. that, you know, it's actually having this other person. There's a reason that I still use a financial advisor mm. despite running Australia's largest online financial advisor. Um, <laughs> did you get that in, did you? <laughs> um, I left out the Australia's most affordable financial right, advisor. Right, okay, sorry, there we go. Um, Got it. But it's because that I'm running a business. I'm trying to enjoy life. Do I really want to be worried about, you know, have I lodged this year's W8 Ben yet? Mm. Um, I want someone to deal with all of that stuff. If you're using international at NAB trade, you don't need one. <laughs> I shouldn't tell you Hypo- that, should I? Hypothetical example. Hypothetical. Well, so we have one for our personal insurance because I am extremely sure that I am not across the definitions of different things and who's got the best policy at the best price for what we need. And so we absolutely yeah. use a professional for that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of places that an expert can help you. I just get great joy in making fun of the chess sellers. <laughs> and I will say, I don't mind what you do. If you want to hang your hat on that, awesome. If you want to die on that hill, awesome. Hmm. And I will also say, if one day 
there's a broker that wants to sponsor the podcast that is chess sponsored, I'm happy to take their money. Because <laughs> Don't try to sell yourself on the chess I'm, sponsorship. But, but I'm not going to be heroing in the language, mm. use this broker because of chess sponsorship, because that's a marketing play. Yeah. And we all know where that started. Finkley? Or open self wealth, self wealth, mm. yes. Mm. Which you know, if you're trying to, if you're, no, it wasn't Fink Clear. It was it was self open. Yeah, but they used um, OMG. OMG. Um, don't, open don't get me started on open markets. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I want to get you started. No, do not get me started on open markets. Um, but th- th- that you know, if your main competitive advantage is that I'm a dollar cheaper than the other guy for a trade then what do you do when someone comes in a dollar cheaper than you? And what do you do when it gets to zero? <laughs> do you know, I, but well, I can't I think, the, I think the ASX are doing a good job to stopping it getting to zero. What, I can't tell you how frequently, and it has, uh, it's probably stopped in the last 12 months, but when I'm on stage and you're getting the live questions, it's always fun. Why is brokerage so expensive in Australia? Why don't we have free brokerage like Robinhood? I'm like, oh, well, I've got an answer for the Robinhood one. But why is it so expensive? Why is it not free? I'm like, because it costs money to run a platform, right? Is that sex $2.50 still or $3 a trade? It's $2 something. $2, yeah. There's there's a multitude of costs, right, that need to be met, not least compliance and everything else. And I just I find it fascinating that we understand we need to pay for certain things. But because there was free brokerage in the US, the assumption was we should have free brokerage here and should be free and that's how it but should be. But nobody yeah, tells no the one cared about the price of yeah, it. Yeah, no one mm. told the consumer the spread that the market maker was making. That's right. So let's get real. And how much they were being how paid. How much flow was going fees, to Citadel, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, I went down a Citadel um, rabbit hole Did and you? just all the connected entities with that whole Robin Hood thing, it was wild. Mm. Like so wild. Yeah, it's a complex world. It's quite amazing. But yeah, should we go back to the early 80s when the government regulated brokerage? Oh, did So in, in, in London... Is this your old Irish socialism no, guy no, coming no, back? This, this is the, the guys who invented stock markets. Mm-hmm. The London Stock Exchange had government regulated brokerage until what they called Big Bang in 1985, 86... If it was 84, that was the big bang that I was born. <laughs> that was a big bang. Um, <laughs> Bless you. Wasn't that, the th- wasn't that the thing that killed the dinosaurs? Pretty much. Mm. But, yeah, so I think it was it was 1% or 100 pounds or something for a trade. Like it was a lot of money. And so you were in trading $500 parcels of ETS. Yeah. Well, it has changed so much. The first mm. trades that I placed, I paid significantly more brokerage than I do now. Like significantly, multiples, mm. four, yeah. five times because you had to call someone up and yeah. get them to place a trade on your behalf, right? It was a very different world. And then you got a paper certificate oh, yeah. in the mail. Mm. Well, also the bit that I find fascinating is you go, you're looking up the the actual share price in the paper from yesterday. Yep. You didn't have any live pricing. You didn't have any research. Everything was... Best endeavours, to be honest. Better investment decisions, not having the real data live. Oh, I don't know. You, you know, it was hard to get a real view of anything. Like right. the average retail investor, regardless of who they're with, has better tools now mm. than fund managers had in the 80s yes. and 90s. Like mm. it's amazing. And yes, there's a lot of noise and it's hard to tune it out. Mm. But I do think, yeah, because we do focus on all the minutiae and maybe you can do this a little bit better and that a little bit better. I think, God, there's stuff we have access to now. And it's true in all areas of our lives. But particularly true when it comes to investing, you've got product solutions that are so clean and easy that take away all that anxiety about what to do in the first place. If you can't make a decision about what to buy, you can get yourself an ETF. Solved a lot of issues. Mm. 
But you can do it online. You can do it on your phone. It's going to cost you next to nothing, you know. Sandwich and a milkshake, that one. Oh, you know, it's. You cannot get a milkshake for the price of a trade. <laughs> I don't know how much a milkshake costs. Um, but you know, like, it's so easy. And you can go and do research, like genuine research, and you can get price data and you can pull charts and you can do all these amazing things. And most of it's free. Like, it's pretty incredible mm. what you can do. And it is, and I'm not talking our own book here, you can get that from most available brokerages. It's amazing. Um, Justin said, any best kept secrets on investment and structuring approach for high income earners? Now, I don't know if there's best kept secrets. I mean, if you're not in the money world, maybe it might sound cool. But like, how do you structure your life, Vince, in terms of entity structures? Well, I may not be the poster child for this, but I, I do. I, I do have a family trust mm-hmm. um, with a corporate trustee mm. and a bucket company beneficiary. Which we'll get to that. There's another um, question about that. It owns uh, my holding in LifeSherpa. It owns a bunch of other investments. Um, I did have a self-managed super fund, which had a corporate trustee, which I've now shut down and moved to a, a platform. Yeah. And then I've got a bunch of stuff in my personal name. So, yeah, some of that May, may not be the most efficient. And you know, what's the benefit of a bucket company? It's a deferral because I don't have any low tax rate beneficiaries I could give it to. So so just uh, there was a question here from Caitlin. I'd love a clear explanation on how to use a bucket company and family trust structure for investing. We have this, but it seems easy to put in and complicated to get out. Uh, that's a <laughs> probably a fair description of it. So the, the traditional... Uh, benefits of a trust. So a trust isn't an entity of itself. It's a relationship. It's a it's effectively a contract between the trustee which holds the assets or the trust estate on behalf of the beneficiaries and has certain rights to deal with them. And it doesn't fall under the Corpse Act. And it's not regulated by the Corpse Act. In fact, it used to be regulated by each in, well, it still is regulated by each individual state. Mm. And the rules in South Australia are different to the rules in New South Wales. And, I settled uh, a trust in South Australia. Ah, yes. Um. There, there, that, 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 that's a very arcane difference um, about the potential lifetime of a, a trust. So that trust doesn't pay tax in its own right if it distributes all of the income to beneficiaries, at least resident beneficiaries, not otherwise under a legal uh, what's the word? Legal impediment. Yep. Um, so typically that means you, you, know, you distribute $413 to each child, you distribute you know, a few thousand dollars to Aunt Jemima who's not paying tax and in the old days you only did this on paper and you took the money back straight away and no one ever noticed. Um, We've got to do elections before the end of the financial year now. You do. Um, you'd be surprised how many pa- pieces of paper are signed on, at 11.59 on June 30th. <laughs> um, and so that means that you've got to get the income out of the trust somewhere and usually a minor beneficiary... Um, adult children at uni, and failing all of that, you bump it into a company, which is usually referred to as a bucket company because that's where you throw the rest of the stuff. Into a bucket. Into a bucket, and it can then stay there earning income. Um, companies, of course, don't get the capital gains discount, so you don't really want to be distributing just, capital gains. If you gains back up the truck for a sec. Back the truck up. For example, if I'm hypothetically on the highest tax rate, mm-hmm. so you basically... 50 cent coin, yep. and I give away for every dollar I earn. 
for my situation, a bucket company means when I receive distributed income from the trust, the bucket company earns that income, yep. but is taxed at the company tax rate, rate. 25 or don't think 27. I don't think it applies to investment companies, does it? Don't, don't they have to be know. active businesses? I don't actually have a bucket company. Yeah. <laughs> but the problem is... Well, but uh, either way, 30% yeah, is less than 50% yes. where I'm from. Yep. Mm. However, as you said, if we had a bucket company that was owned an investment platform, NAB Trade, because we want chess sponsorship, clearly... Um, and we made a solid gain, there's no CGT yeah. in the company structure. So you, so you don't want the company making capital gains. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, it is just a deferral. So at some point when you want to spend that money, the money's got to come out. How does it come out? It comes out as a dividend. Fully franked. Fully franked, <laughs> which you, because you've already paid the tax on it and you top it up. After you retire. <laughs> so the longer you leave it in there, the better. Mm. But, Glenn, you make a perfectly good point. Well, what am I going to invest it in while it's in there? If I'm going to be paying 30% tax on my capital gain... Well, maybe it's not such a saving after all. And don't have your bucket company the same company as your corporate trustees. It's really, really, really bad Please. idea. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so the big advantage of it is if you've got a extended family with lots of low taxpayers, you can spread around. But as I used to tell to all my clients is, do you want to give 100%, do you want to, give 100% to your adult children or do you want to give 47 cents to the tax office? I know which one I'm taking. <laughs> so I have this which one? Uh, incredible, incredible. <laughs> I'm example. sending it to Canberra. Yeah, <laughs> an example By UPS where UPS if I have to. Yeah. A family nearly lost everything in this scenario where they had uh, had this in place for many decades. All the family were involved. Uh, some of the children were not aware that they had been receiving distributions oh. and dividends for many years, and chose not to try to claw it back at a later date. Uh, but one of the, you know, these are very adult children in their 60s, right? Um, uh, Reinhardt? <laughs> the Reinhardt? Smaller <laughs> sums, right? Smaller sums. Similar concept though. Yeah. There was a falling out between mm. the family members when some realised how little they'd been getting and others had been happily taking what they could the whole time. There was uh, one person had managed to have themselves named as the sole director because someone had dement- – there were all of these things. And it, from an estate planning perspective, uh, it, it was an absolute miracle that it didn't all go to pieces. And that was a lot of people making a decision that family was worth more than money. But it was so close to losing 99% of it in loyal <laughs> legal and, fees. And a, a lot of kids are unaware. In fact, a lot of spouses and kids are completely unaware of this, mm-hmm. that the family accountant mm-hmm. who does the books for the family company – does the accounts for the family trust and fills out all the tax returns. Here you go, sign here. And everyone just you know, rocks up on whatever so date and know, signs everything. Some of these people had been receiving dividends for multiple decades and it became an issue when they realised that they were in the highest marginal tax mm-hmm. bracket because of these dividends that they didn't receive yeah. at any point and all these sorts of things. But it was one of those ones where you go, God, you got a little bit too clever for tax purposes and it nearly blew up your entire family and cost more in legal fees exactly. than you ever yeah. saved. It's it was crazy. so amazing to me... How many bloody accountants are really terrible at maths and they will – someone called me the other day, oh, my accountant said I should buy a car just to reduce my tax bill. I'm like, <laughs> I'd rather pay 30 or 40% in tax and keep the rest mm. than spend it all. Mm. Like, I don't get it. A person I know who uh, 
works in an allied finance field, so um, knows a bit about financial planning stuff, but not oh, enough. They're the worst. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I admire Probably the. Probably me now. I admire well, They're the, almost as bad as software bros on Reddit. Um, <laughs> uh, has uh, gets the dramatic deductibles because of working for a charity, right? So the mm. whatever it is. And came to me and said, oh, I have to drive an hour each way for my job, so I'm going to lease the car that they already owned. I'm going to lease it and package it because it's so fantastic. I was like, I'm fairly sure your marginal tax rate is 19 cents in the dollar. Mm. I, don't, I don't understand this strategy. Nicest way I can think of. I don't understand mm. this strategy for you. And I was like, no, 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 it's great. It's going to do this, this, and this. I was like, look, you're starting to learn about this stuff now. Can you go away, do the numbers, send them to me, and show me where the benefit is? And came back and was like, oh, God, that's a terrible idea. But had just not contemplated, if you are already close to zero in tax, I call 19 cents in the dollar, mm. close to zero, yes. right? Maybe you don't need to worry about leasing a car you already own to save and I think a lot of accountants, hello accountants that are listening, love you, <laughs> they will just not see the forest for the trees and just be like, just got to pay less tax, just got to pay less tax. They won't look at the net outflow yeah. of and, that and transaction. The, the number of times I've seen people with family trusts and bucket companies are actually paying more in accounting fees than they're saving in tax. Oh, 100%. That's got to be true. I will say um, there was an accountant I had on the podcast that I have, and both of you guys own your own company. I'm a salary owner, right? And so is my husband. And so our choices are extremely limited from mm. a tax perspective. And this guy openly said, look, if you're a salary owner, there's not much for you. Mm. Here's what I'm going to do for all of my business owners. And I was like, good. Thank you for at least being open about that. Because there is this question was, you know, what's the best case secret? This guy was like, there's no secrets for you. So <laughs> no in, secrets. In terms of um, structuring and an approach, I'm very similar to Vince. Got a family discretionary trust, corporate trustee. Simo Interactive is a company that runs the podcast. Um, my family trust owns 100% of the shares in that company. Um, all our intellectual property is owned by my family trust and there's a lease agreement over to the company. Um, if I wanted to sell the company one day, I could potentially lease the name back to them. Little things like that. So they're little one percenters. Um, and there's so many opportunities for small business exits. Yeah. And most small oh. most small business people oh. rely on their business for their retirement. And so and if you are that person, start diversifying now yes. because it might not be worth what you think it is. <laughs> oh, there's that. But the small business CGT concessions are unbelievable. They are. They are amazing. And very misunderstood by a lot of people, mm. including accountants. But yeah. they're quite complicated. They are. Oh, yeah. complicated. <laughs> I remember I did a presentation on them once and it was a, yeah, it was quite a long presentation. There's a lot of charts, there's a lot of, you know, here's your four qualifying criteria and here's your blah, Works blah, blah, better blah. when you're over fifty five, I think. It does, but that, like literally someone wrote in the feedback, I didn't understand a word she said. <laughs> I was like, clearly I did a very poor job of that presentation. But remember going, you know, it's, it's, it's one where you have to be actively mm. interested in making it work. But it's, you, if you find someone who knows how it works and, and you get the a, advice early, mm. you're set. Now that the thresholds have been lifted, it's, um, it's very, very lucrative mm. and the opportunities to shuffle things along the way to... Uh, mm -hmm bank some of it before your business gets too big. Yeah. Yeah. And so then, that's when an account can, you know, a good one yeah. will earn their keep. But it's just all, like everything, start with the end in mind. Um, so, yeah, my discretionary family trust owned my financial planning business. Mm. That was in a unit trust. So that asset could flow through and get the CGT concessions. 
Yeah. But I think the big secret is if you've got an Etsy store, you probably don't need a family trust. Yes. <laughs> uh, what else? So, like, I've got some little um, startups that I put, you know, five or ten grand in. They're just owned by the family trust. Um, I've got an investment platform. I mean, they're the things that should probably be in your super fund. Well, I didn't have a self-managed super fund at the time. Also, it's a real pain in the butt doing the admin. Yeah. So yeah. I recently Particularly set up if you've a got, if you've got a zealous um, auditor who wants to, to get a valuation and um, – Yeah, they want the signed-off company accounts I, for everything and whatever. Like I admire their diligence on one hand, but I also go, I can't physically prove to you that I'm not a related party unless you want to go through the surnames. It's very difficult to do. I can give you a family tree. So, <laughs> this is, so I set up a self-managed super fund – start of the year, mm-hmm. within frigging 10 minutes of the self-managed super fund setting up because I'm getting a commercial property through there, this, I'm just, I don't think there's any state secrets I'm about to tell and whatever, got nothing to hide, but whatever. The self-managed super fund sued someone. Yeah, I'm just- Your self-managed super fund. Yes, yeah, I'll tell you guys later. And so, and so I got this, we're doing the first audit after June- I'm completing the BAS with your end of year work. I need the following transactions, you know, this for that. There's one, two, three. I'm like, I hate paperwork. And anyway, so. But at least you don't have to do the once a year trip to Canberra now like you used to. Tell me more. ACT had no stamp duty on trusts at one point. Um, And so all these trusts and companies were getting set up in Canberra. So I was back and forwards up the Hume Highway like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> I thought um, you were talking about the ATO calling people in with their self-managed super fund sort of just post-99 when some of the rules changed. But there was this wonderful story from a uh, guy who's a very well-recognised uh, expert in the field and has been forever and he told this wonderful story. So there's all these rules around collectibles and different things that could be considered an investment and we won't go into it but there was a woman who had – she was a jeweller and had been a jewellery investor her whole life and had uh, invested her entire self-managed super fund in jewellery, which has got a few issues attached to it, uh, and they've tightened up the rules many times over the last couple of decades, but this was quite some time ago. And the ATO called her in and said, can you explain, please explain to us how you uh, secure these assets so that you are keeping them for the sole purpose mm. of providing for your retirement? Like, where do you store these items? And she said... <laughs> Oh, darling, I'm wearing them. <laughs> so, so, well done. Excellent job. Yeah. There, there was a, a story went around that when they changed the rules. Don't on, do that, by the way. When they changed the rules on um, collectibles. When Is you it could, 5% now for the balance? Well, you used to be able to, you know, people had the paintings hanging on their yeah. living room walls for safekeeping. Mm. And they changed the rules. They said, you can't keep it at home. The, the joke around the industry was that these were the rules set up by the Catholics because it's okay as long as you don't take pleasure in it. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, no, I think there was something around, I think, APRA. Was it APRA that does super funds? ATO is SMSA. ATO, 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 APRA, sorry, APRA does Banks. big funds, yeah. yeah. Um, I think they put some percentage guidelines in for super funds. It was 5% collectibles and personal use assets, That's but then right. there was also, they're not, you're not allowed to personally use them. And vintage cars was the other one. Vintage cars was the big one, yeah. And and, And wine (laughs) collections, the number of people who would 
build up, oh God, I hope my husband doesn't hear this, um, <laughs> you know, build up these extraordinary wine collections and then they would try to argue that they would pay themselves wine as a pension payment, that they would make an in-species transfer out of the fund. So you can't pay a pension in in-species? No, you can't, but they would try you to argue. You can make lump sum withdrawals, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, so they were trying to argue that the, the wine being drunk was an in-species payment from their fund in retirement. Uh, so there were lots of people trying to uh, to make some creative You could certainly have a lump sum withdrawal of a bottle. Of a bottle. <laughs> I wonder whether that uh, might attract the attention of the tax office. Do you guys invest any in Bitcoin? I know I, I wouldn't say invest. Yeah, I don't think you can say invest. Do you in hold Bitcoin? Bitcoin? No, I do have a little bit. Do you? I've got some. Do you? Mm. Yeah, I did quite well. You can't be my millennial money without having some Bitcoin. I just think YOLO. <laughs> my, my boomer money over here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there's no secrets to. It's just get good advice. You've got to pay tax. Everyone has to pay tax. And it's more around the exiting of structures. Yeah. That is what you need to plan for. And there's trade-offs to every strategy. I always, when I was giving sort of advice presentations, would be like think purpose. And you said this already. Like what's the purpose? Like why am I trying to use this structure? A company is for running a business. A trust is protecting assets. Holding in your own name just gives you all the flexibility. Like you've got different reasons for doing it. And then you go, you want right place, right time, and then the right amount of tax. It's your third consideration, Mm. not your first. (laughs) So there is one thing that I might be setting up with some other people is a unit trust to do a property. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm not 100% resolved yet because I can't reply to emails three weeks ago with my tax questions because <laughs> I hate paperwork. But I said to some friends the other day, and there are other business owners, I just text them like, if we set up a, a unit trust and we'll go and buy a block of land somewhere and maybe build three townhouses or something like that. Um, so, yeah, that's – and then that unit trust, the units that I have would likely be – Again, I'd have to get some advice, but I'd assume that the units would be held within my family trust. So, well, if you're carrying on a business of property development, it's probably, well, it's probably a trading trust and will get taxed well, as a company. It wouldn't be technically a business; it would just be holding rental property. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah. So, all of that, I guess, comes back to our thinking or er, uh, the comment earlier about innovation in financial services, and mm. innovation is often a front for higher fees. <laughs> That's right. And so you got to think, well, what what is actually new that bonds and equities have been around for, well, I think bonds have been around for 600 years, mm. 700 years, mm. um, equities since 1700s. Mm. I think the joint stock company was invented in the 1700s. Mm-hmm. And um, like why do we really need something new? We might need new behaviours, we might need new mixes, but, yeah. Well, the five Bs aren't going away. Here's a question from Ed that we can probably finish on. Speaking of behaviours, how, and I'll ask Gemma this, how and when to incorporate slicing off some profits into your investment strategy or is it more logical just to hold the stock and not sell it? For example, hypothetically, what is the logic behind selling a stock or ETF if it is up 20 or 25%? What percentage do you hold back and uh, sell and where to put the money if in, say, three months' time that 20% has gone back to, say, 2% profit. So do you double down on a winner? Do you sell a winner? Do you keep a winner? So I'm going to give the worst answer in the world, but 
It depends on what the stock <laughs> oh. is. Like, it depends on the stock, right? Yeah, and yeah. I really sincerely mean this, right? Give us some hypothetical Yeah, I'm going to give you some examples. I'm not even going to give hypothetical ones. Okay. I'm going to give real ones. So my probably biggest investing mistake is I cut my winners too early. And often it's stuff that has a lot of potential but I feel it's run pretty hard and then I trim and then I get really annoyed with myself when it runs harder than that. But there are things in your portfolio that you know are highly speculative and you can often get a feel for when you're in a bit of a specky bubble and things are kind of heating up, right? Mm. So there was buy now, pay later, super hot, super hot. Yep. And one of them went to the moon and the other ones all fell in a heap and you do – I think, to an extent, have a pretty good feel for which one's going to be the winner after a while. Like, you can see it coming. There's a good amount of data out there. Uh, If nothing else, follow the press. There was a lot of press. You could see what was happening there. And lithium's the same, right? Some of those companies are, you know, digging stuff out of the ground and selling it at good prices, and some of them are hopefuls. And all the prices will run at some times, and some of them, you know, will fall away very quickly. And the ones that, you know, are going to have a long long track record, regardless of what happens with the lithium prices, which are highly volatile, have a better chance of making it work. So uh, it depends on the kind of stock. That's one thing. Um, Once you've been watching stocks for a while, you start to get a feel for what their price action is Mm -hmm. likely to be. And they will do things that surprise you and they will do things that you think are stupid. But if you go, oh God, I bought this on a whim, it's completely speculative and it's had a dramatic run and now it's 25% of my portfolio, don't feel bad about taking some profits. That's not necessarily a bad thing. So I did an IPO. Within two weeks, it went 700%. I took my money and got the hell out of there. Didn't care about CGT. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take that as income any day of the week. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think the answer depends on whether you're a trader or you're invested. Mm. That if you're you're a trader, Mm. that is your in this for a reason and your intent is for that reason to come true or not come true mm. and um, you will take the profits when your plan works out. So generally short term. Mm. So if you've bought something and it goes on a tear, you need to, as a general, you want to let your, you want to run your gains, cut your losses. That's mm. philosophy number one. Mm. And then philosophy number two is would I buy it at this price? Does my thesis still hold good? And if it is, then you should hold it. If you wouldn't buy it at this price, you should probably start thinking about trimming. But the problem a lot of traders do is they're reluctant to kill their darlings. Mm. So people don't cut their losses quickly enough and are more likely to take cash out of the winners when they need some cash. That's the trader position. As an investor... What I want to make sure is that I don't allow my risk profile to rise. So as a general rule, your growth assets will grow faster than your defensive assets. So over time, if you do nothing, you will end with more and more and more risk. And if you'd got a handful of shares, one of which was Afterpay, you would have found that they became a huge chunk of your portfolio, which means your risk in your portfolio is now way off the risk you intended to take. So rebalancing in an investment portfolio it's not about increasing return. It's about managing risk. Well, but that's the also smoothing out the ride. Yep. But if you're a trader, mm. yeah, you run, would, run your gains. Well, as a trader also, you should have a strategy, right? And you should have a plan. You kind of know what your price targets are and whatever, theoretically. I was going to say that example, though, is of ETFs. And that, I think, is quite different. Uh, also, where are you at in your investing journey, to use an mm. overused term? But if you're a retiree, 
you've got to be quite careful about portfolio allocations. If you're 25 and you're trying to build up a massive portfolio of ASX 200 ETFs over time, theoretically you are accumulating consistently. I don't think there's a lot of merit in trimming, to be honest. Like if you're trying to dollar cost average. Well, well the question is, well, why are you 100% in 100% equities for the first place? I mean, that's, that's almost a ludicrous position for anyone to take because the risk return isn't there. So the difference... There's someone online that had a go at you for these. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> you <you're> pathetic. <laughs> so whilst your expected return is higher by being 100% equities, it's not actually that much higher and you're taking a lot more risk. And if to you get the return. And if you look at the comparison, um, you know, it's not a whole percent difference moving from 100 to 90 and you take a lot of volatility off the table. So what I would say to Ed, because this is very topical because I'm writing an investment book as we speak. I think I emailed you. You did, So yes. I'm going to get some quotes from people about behaviour and mindset and just sprinkle throughout that chapter. So, Ed, if you had a three-fund portfolio, mm. you need to write down what your target asset allocation is and we'll just say 33, 33, 33 or 34, 33, 33, 34. And then what you do you set a variance of maybe 10% or 5% and then you say every three months I'm looking at the portfolio and come hell or high water, if there is a variance out, I'm either topping the other ones up with new money or selling down and redistributing. And and it's that discipline. And you've got to do that every three months based on your strategy that you've agreed to. Yeah. And that that so that discipline and it's a good like, way it's a good reason not to have a chess sponsored broker because <laughs> you've got to end up with a lot of <laughs> trading notes and yeah but it's that discipline but of, also yeah, use that you, you talk about dollar, <laughs> dollar cost averaging on the way in mm. um, regular rebalancing um, that just takes the emotion out of it because the number of times I've seen people and this is just human nature this is not a criticism is you know when you come to rebalance and you. Know, oh, Afterpay's doing really well. I should let that one run. Mm. Um, now you're taking a trading mentality mm. and that and long-term investing just don't go together. You can be one or the other or I mean, you can have two different portfolios. You I can have a trading portfolio and I, an investing it, it portfolio. It is a personality play as well. My personality can't be the trader. Like I, my CoinSpot account for the Bitcoin, like I'll show you, this is wild, right? If I go over to um, CoinSpot, it's not even logged in <laughs> because I don't need the dopamine rush mm. looking. I don't know. I put, I've got some money in there. I took some off the table a couple of weeks ago, but I just don't look at it daily. 40,000 now, I think. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. US. Look, guys, you heard it here first. We're starting a crypto podcast. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Glenn, the it's crypto back bro. On. It's back well, on. We've got a course, Introduction to Cryptocurrency, that, um, I run, I think it's up, and, you know, of all the unicorns that you hear, there are probably 10,000 dogs mm. that you lost money on. Mm-hmm. So we all need to have a cold shower <laughs> with this stuff. But that all comes back to behaviour. Mm. You know, most of your success at investing or trading comes down to your the consistency and quality of your decisions and your behaviour. And, sti- well, and also like sticking Stick to your game plan yes. and getting your game Until plan. Until the game changes. Yeah, well, sorting your game plan out before you run onto the field. Mm. 
Anyway, well, we might leave it there. It's been a great chat. Thank you, Vince. Nothing like some schmores. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and thank you, Gemma. Thank you. Gemma from NAB Trade and the podcast Your Wealth. Yeah, yeah. Um, get you here, come on. Yeah, I'd love to come on your podcast. That's really cool. Yeah, we, we, don't, we don't talk to normal people so much. <laughs> oh, we thank do. You. No, yeah. look, we talk to very, um, as I said, I did Bond podcast this morning. It's like deep experts in this sort of obscure fields and th- that that reality check I think yeah, would be super helpful. On. That'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. Appreciate that. Um, well, guys, I've been Glenn. This has been Vince. This has been Gemma. And you've been great. And you've been great. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. Bye. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. 